0: Welcome to the Sadler Lectures Podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com slash sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. The second type of opposition that Aristotle distinguishes in Categories Book 10 is what we call contrariness or contraries, ta'anantia. This is a stronger form of opposition than just being opposed to each other. This is when things really are contrary opposites, you could say, in a very rigorous sense of the term. And Aristotle wants to stress to us that these terms are not correlative to each other. Correlation was the the first form of opposition that he points out and he says, look, When you have terms like good or bad or black and white, it's not as if the good is the good of the bad, where it has its meaning in relation to the bad and lacking the bad, there's no sense of goodness. As a matter of fact, you could imagine a world in which everything was indeed completely good. Whether you can imagine a world that's totally bad, probably not given some of the other things that Aristotle says about badness, but you can certainly imagine a world that in which everything is totally good. So good and bad are not terms like double and half or to use another example, master and servant or father and son that he has put under the category of relation to prosti. Instead, these are opposed to each other. Bad is the opposite of good. Good is the opposite of bad. And this is a fundamental part of Aristotle's metaphysical schema. So somebody may object, well, you know, you can't know goodness without knowing badness. Aristotle doesn't actually think that. And I should point out here as well that the type of opposition that is involved in contrariness is also different, Aristotle will point out, than the third form of opposition, which is that between hexis and sterasis, or positive and privation. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. It's also not the same thing as affirmation, cataphasis, and denial, because those have to do with language, and this has to do with the qualities, the things that we can say are in a thing, and that we can use terms to predicate of a thing. So that's an important point. Now, what we really want to get to talking about here is this interesting discussion about intermediaries and not having intermediaries, and that's going to have to do with the kinds of contrariness that we're seeing in certain terms and in certain subjects. So Aristotle will say that some contraries are naturally found in their subjects. What does he mean by that? He means that a subject, a given subject, has to have either this one or that one. And there are many subjects that don't have that. So let's take, instead of using the health and disease example, let's start with the first example that might be more illuminating because it's a little bit simpler. Numbers, right? Numbers, according to Aristotle, and put aside what we know about modern mathematics with square roots and you know, imaginary numbers and stuff like that. Aristotle says that numbers must either be even or odd, one or the other. And you might say, wait a second, what about zero? Well, Aristotle didn't have zero. That came in mathematics later on from Indian mathematics, long after Aristotle's time. So if we go by the understanding of number that Aristotle has at the time, what we can call the cardinal numbers he's actually right either even or odd one or the other and you know if a number were to change i suppose which numbers themselves can't for aristotle would have to go from being even to being odd or odd to being even and it's either one or the other now let's take something that actually does change aristotle talks about health and disease numbers don't have health and disease right just as bodies don't have evenness or oddness except insofar as you're counting But bodies, living bodies, are either healthy or diseased. And Aristotle says it's either one or the other. Now, you know, you you could object to him and say, well, perhaps it's healthy in this respect, but diseased in this respect. Okay, now you're bringing in qualifications and you're going a little bit beyond the discussion that he's engaging in. He's talking about overall. Overall, a body is healthy or a body is diseased. You might say, well, isn't there like a continuum between them? Aristotle says, look, Health is when the body is all properly functioning and we could you know lay down some probably fairly arbitrary limits about everything on this side counts as healthy everything on this side counts as diseased and we could say okay more healthy or more diseased but there's a dividing line between the two of them and at a certain point you cross over into being diseased or you cross back into being healthy so you're either one or the other now other things like a piece of chalk neither healthy nor diseased we might we might say other things things about that, like straight or bent, right? That's another example of that sort that Aristotle uses. So he says there are no intermediaries for these. There, you know, when it comes to numbers, there's nothing in between odd and even, right? When it comes to bodies and, and living tissues, either they're healthy or they're diseased. When it comes to objects, either they're straight or they're crooked. Pick one or pick the other. It gets much more interesting when we get to the ones, Aristotle says, contraries that do have intermediates. So what would be some some examples of those? I've put several of the ones that he uses up on the board. He talks, for example, about colors, and he uses this quite frequently here in the categories. And on this, we actually have some other texts that, that give us a bit more information about this. Aristotle sees black and white as existing on a spectrum where black is at one End and white is at the other, and they are opposites to each other. Now, bodies can be black or they can be white you know for example, this chalk is white and although this shirt is not you know black it's actually a dark blue let's just pretend it's black for a moment because I, I could have put on a black shirt today or great example this recording device is indeed black Now there's no internal necessity that says that for example this recording device must be black. As a matter of fact, it could come in whatever color we want, because it's plastic, and we can dye it whatever color. The dyes, on the other hand, the substances that we use for dyeing, they are that particular color. And if we think about not the sort of chemical things that we do today, which are very sophisticated, but we think about the dyes and pigmentations that they would have had available at the time, you know, if you grind up lapis lazuli for blue, it's just going to be blue, and that's it. You know, That's not going to be a different color. If you grind up ochre for a brownish or yellowish, that's going to be that color. If you take shellfish and extract the purple dye from them so you can dye your tunic purple, that's that color, right? If you wash your tunic so that it becomes white, dazzlingly white, you know, as as white as we could get at that time, that's that. And the chalk itself presumably is naturally this color. I don't really know when it comes to chalk. Most of the chalk that I've seen is white and I assume that the other stuff has been dyed. But black and white exist on a continuum. Nothing needs to be necessarily black or white unless it's that sort of thing that automatically has that color. And we'll talk about that in, in a moment. And then there's an entire spectrum in between. Intermediaries. So we could talk about an intermediary where it's partly black and partly white, like gray, or we could talk about other colors. And this is how Aristotle conceives of color working in, for example, on sense and the sensible or in on the soul. Yellow would be an example of another color, red, you know, green. Uh, We could go on and on and on about this sort of thing. What about other things? Good versus bad. Okay, so here Aristotle says we don't really have a middling term. We just say neither good nor bad, but it's, it's not the case that for any given person they are necessarily either good or bad. They could be somewhere in the middle. And this is, in fact, how Aristotle <laughs> conceives of ethics working, you know. It's, we try to steer ourselves away from the bad and towards the good. And we try to steer other people, like children that we're in charge of, in, in similar ways. Just versus unjust. It's also possible to be neither just nor unjust. In the sense of not, you know, having the virtue of justice or the vice of injustice, but it's being somewhere in between. And Aristotle says sometimes we have a word for this, sometimes we have to make up words for this sort of thing. Another one that he gives is an example of, you know, one of these that's on a continuum and has intermediaries, coldness versus heat, right? You could say, well, look, either something is cold or, or it's hot. It's either one or the other. No, there's lukewarm in the middle, right? And so there's a set of intermediaries that are possible. Now, Aristotle says something else that's that's very interesting about this a little bit further on when he's talking about intermediaries. He says, when contraries have no no intermediate like the case of health or sickness we saw that the one or the other must ever be present in the subject in which they are naturally found or of which they will serve as the predicate so odd and even are naturally found or serve as predicates in numbers but do not you know do that with with say articles of clothing except in in a derivative sense that we've already talked about in the quantity chapter he says where this necessity obtained those terms could have no intermediates Health and disease odd and even were mentioned as examples. But where contraries have an intermediate, no such necessity obtains. It is not every subject that may be receptive of black and white that must therefore be black or be white. The fact that something could be black or could be white doesn't mean that it has to be either black or white. But if something can admit of health or disease, then it must admit of one or the other and there is no middle ground. Now, it goes on a little bit further and he says uh, he gives two examples that are particularly interesting with respect to color and with respect to heat. So he says, an exception must be made where one contrary naturally inheres, where it's naturally found in that thing, right? Where it is present, you could say. And he gives examples like fire. To be hot is the nature of fire. So although in other bodies there could be a gradation. And of course, you know, we could talk about one fire being hotter than another fire. A fire has to be hot, according to Aristotle, or there's no fire. That's part of the nature of the fiery thing. Likewise, he says it's the nature of snow to be white. Presumably it'd be the nature of snow to be cold too as well. But It's the nature of snow to be white. In such cases, one of the contrary's needs must be definitely present, not one or the other in things. It's out of the question that fire should be cold or that snow should be black. And, of course, you could object, well, wait a second, what about yellow snow, you know? well yellow snow presumably is snow that has an admixture of something else that is making it yellow or what about red snow you know we get kool-aid and we sprinkle it on the snow maybe writing our name or something like that okay the kool-aid is red the snow is actually white yes but what about black ice where the snow gets packed down at the tops of mountains and then eventually becomes you know this this very dark thing which by the way is the real meaning of black ice it's it's not what people in the South started talking about as ice on a blacktop. Black ice is actually what's in found at the tops of, say, the Alps, for example. Well, what's going on there, it's not that the snow itself is becoming black, it's being transformed into something different, presumably. But these objections can be handled pretty easily. The the basic idea is that there are certain things that are automatically going to have a quality. If we wanted to use another example of this, something that's quite similar to the color. range uh, that that Aristotle talks about taste right some things are sweet and sweet is at one extreme bitter is at another extreme and then we have all sorts of things in between Aristotle actually distinguishes eight fundamental flavor profiles the fattier the oily is closer to the sweet you know the salty is closer to the bitter there are some things that are bitter by their very nature and there are some things that are sweet by their very composition So, you know, to talk about bitter sugar, Aristotle would say that's really nonsensical. It's not going to have that property. You could add something else to the sugar like almond extract or orange peel to give it some bitterness, right? But it's it's not going to be bitter by itself. So some of these opposed qualities admit of intermediaries. Some of them don't. We see now what the reasons for that are in Aristotle, and this is a fundamental type of